0: Blog Talk Radio. Hello everybody, welcome to the second edition of the NYK Exchange Podcast presented by nykinformation.com. I'm your host, Sean Aquino. You can follow me on Twitter at saquino 34 Just want to first off uh, start by thanking everyone who subscribed on iTunes, we're available on iTunes now, and uh, listened in. Um, we had hundreds of people listening in, um, and we really appreciate it. Our first uh, episode was with Chris Delgado on Sunday, that's, so that's still online. You can check it out. So thank you so much for the support. NYkinformation.com is a brand-new site. We have uh, fans posting articles, uh, four, five, six articles every day. Um, we are getting tons of submissions and really great insight from everyone who's contributing to the website, so we're very, very thankful for that, um, if you look at our website today, um, you'll see a new article about Jeff Hornacek and how he could help change the culture of the New York Knicks, which is a, a piece that I worked on. I found a bunch of clips on YouTube, and I put them on um, of Jeff Hornacek at practice, several plays that Jeff Hornacek would be writing, I mean, literally 10, 15-minute long YouTube clips of um, all the plays that Jeff Hornacek uh, uses. And they were really, really encouraging because you got to see Um, You know, not only pick-and-roll action, uh, but UCLA action. You got to see, um, you know, Horns action being run, type of a defense that Hornacek likes to run. Um, So really, really interesting insight. What I kind of took the most out of um, all of my research uh, was being able to find the, uh, I guess, the interpersonal touch that Jeff Hornacek brings to the squad. And that's why I thought that he could really help change the culture of the Knicks if you look at uh, his demeanor, it's very, um, very laid back. Um, it reminded me a lot of the way Mike Woodson coached and the way that he would connect with his players and, and create kind of a fun environment out of joking around. Um, and I thought that that was a really key takeaway because to me, that is a distinct difference than um, the way that uh, Derek Fisher uh, managed the club the last couple of years. Fisher was a very stoic demeanor, and he wasn't one to really seem to joke with the media or the players. Who knows? I wasn't in the practices, but at the same time, it looks like that was a distinction that um, stood out to me. So there's a lot of cool stuff on the website, articles on Maurice Ndor, new free agents that they should be looking to recruit, uh, great work by all the contributors, and we'll be having these contributors on over the uh, the next couple of weeks. Uh, But today, we are going to spend some time um, with our guest, who's on the line with us now. He is Joseph Flynn. He is a co-editor of the SB Nation blog, Posting and Toasting, and an NBA columnist at The Cauldron. You can follow him on Twitter at China Joe, Flynn. Joe really does a terrific job at the site. In my view, they are the best site around and one of the inspirations for us here at NYKInformation.com. Today, we're going to discuss Jeff Hornacek, the Knicks roster, free agency, and his work on the site. Joe, thank you so much for joining me. Thanks for having me. Hey, man, no, thank you so much. I've I've watched you from afar, my friend. I am really um, – I love the work that you do. You're one of my favorite guys to follow on Twitter, and, and you're, of course, posting and toasting is truly one of the best Knicks uh, fan communities. And, I again, really thankful to have you on, and I just want to tell you, you do really, really good work. Thanks. Oh, well, I appreciate it. Thank you. Yeah. No, you're welcome. Um, so let's start off with um, a Jeff Hornacek question. Basically – now, after all the media narratives and Phil's misdirection on who he was considering, what were your thoughts when you saw the news uh, that Howard Beck broke, that Hornacek was going to be topped to be the next coach of the Knicks, and uh, do you think he's going to be given the freedom to run a system?
1: Uh, well, yeah, the first reaction was complete shock. Um, it the, the very fact that they interviewed him came as a shock because mm-hmm. there were no connections, and was very adamant that you know you have to I have to know the guy I have to have have a relationship with the guy you know simpatico whatever and then you know Jeff Hornacek I mean we you you take a cursory look at him he has no real connection to Phil and uh, so yeah that came out of nowhere really I mean that even with Frank Vogel Frank Vogel, you know, worked for the Lakers under Phil for a year. Uh he had Brian Shaw as his head assistant, so and you know, Blatt was best friends with Steve Mills, so you right. can see the connections there. Horizek, Hornich. no, I mean I was just out of the blue. <laughs> Crazy. As for the offense, yeah. God, I don't know. I'm I'm interested to see uh which assistant coaches, if any, are kept. Like, uh, right. if, it's, if it's Rambis. Um, I, I remember Mark Berman the other day said something like, uh, you know, maybe Rambis won't feel comfortable being an assistant because, you know, Carmelo Anthony didn't vouch for him. So maybe he'll go to the front office. And I say good for him, go to the front office. If right. uh, If there are no triangle guys, uh, as assistants, well, then that's really I mean that's like the number one indicator that Hortech will be able to run his own offense. Mhm yeah, absolutely
0: i know I know a lot of it's out um up in the air in terms of you know what's gonna happen next. The press conference hasn't happened yet, which I guess I solo was reporting that um they're gonna wait until after Memorial Day to do it they're you know finalizing the contract uh I was hoping for. Um, I didn't want to see a repeat of the whole steep curve situation where it was like an eminent type thing, and then three weeks later, um, you know, obviously Golden State did what they did. Um, and I don't think we're headed down that road. Yeah, it was extremely shocking for me, but I'm, I'm really excited in the fact that, you know, like the Knicks are going to run, I'm sure they're going to run more pick and roll than they did last year. And we have a couple of players that are going to be really well suited for a system like that. We saw what Carmelo Anthony could do three seasons ago in that type of an offense. And, you know, the Knicks were, you know, Porzingis. I mean, he was ranked, I think, 266th in pick and roll frequency, yet he scored the 27th most points to Roman. So the Knicks ran the fifth fewest pick and rolls last year. So um, if he was able to run that type of offense that he ran in Phoenix, what do you think this is going to do for Porzingis, Carmelo, Robin Lopez, Jerry Grant, et cetera?
1: Um, Okay. So, I mean, that's obviously a lot of guys. I don't think yeah uh, I don't think Robin Lopez will be affected that much because or or Melo to tell you the truth because both of them they were actually pretty effective in the triangle last year uh, Lopez more later in the season but right. um, I think the important thing is that the two of them especially Lopez be given you know the the chance to make stuff happen on their own and and with Lopez, I don't mean with the ball, but I mean the ability to to jump out and set screens. He's very good at that. Mm-hmm. And uh, he's actually a surprisingly good post player, we found out. I mean, it's not pretty, but yeah. uh, it, it works pretty well. So, mm-hmm. um, and, you know, Melo will always have his post-up opportunities when he wants. He'll always work at the, at the elbow there, um, mm-hmm. you know, because that's just the thing. But I mean, using Lopez more as a screener is going to help the offense. Uh, hopefully, you know, Melo has his three point shot back last year. At the beginning, he wasn't that good. But towards the end of the year, he started getting his legs under him. So it'd be nice to see mm-hmm. him uh, hitting more threes, especially in transition as a trailer. Right. Be- and as for Grant, for I mean, this obviously helps him a lot. For is not a post. Player, hopefully he becomes one later on. But I'm in the camp of you know you don't you don't have a first and second year or first to or second year guy just do just constantly do the thing he's not good at, hoping that he will improve quickly. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know you need to you need to give him the chance to succeed. He's a very he's a very good pick and pop pick and pop player. Yeah, and Grant, you know the triangle just really wasn't his thing. So, mm-hmm. you know, if he gets more chances, he he had a nice little uh, synergy with, with Robin Lopez towards the end of the season. So, I mean, that would just be another thing. Just It's not only, uh, not only the offense, but just playing people together. Like until the last, until Calderon was hurt in the last few days of the season, Robin Lopez and Jerry and Grant never played together at all. Jerry and Grant barely yeah. ever played with the Um, you know, even mm-hmm. Fisher and Randis were very like adamant like Grant stays with the with the reserves and I think that was a big mistake. So hopefully Lawrence, yeah, uh, you know, let them let them roll with some of the some of the more important big men. That'd be good. Right, absolutely. Um, no, it's gonna be
0: really interesting. I I'm kind of torn, you know, looking into the future with this roster and I wanna know what your thoughts are on it. I mean, Jerry Grant ran a heavy pick and roll offense at Notre Dame. You saw what he could do towards the end of the season when he was given more freedom, a little bit more freedom, Um, and he was able to play with the likes of starters like Robin Lopez. So where are you with the Knicks' needs moving forward at the point guard position? Are you in the camp of those that say, you know what, let's see what Grant can do. You could maybe keep Calderon as a backup and and see what Rowan could do and move forward with that. Or are you in the camp that believes that we definitely need an upgrade at point guard? Um we're gonna to get to the shooting guard position in the next question, but um yeah, what what camp are you in related to the point guard
1: position this summer? Oh, um yeah, I'm on team oh, I'm on team shooting guard. But uh yeah. The point guard position is it's not just a question of uh, Jerry and Grant or Tony Roten, you know, or you know, what how much rope they should be given. It's also a question of the market. Like, there's just no good market for point guards this this summer. And 2017 is going to be like the bonanza of point guards. So I would be willing to roll the dice with uh, Calderon, Roten, and Grant and, you know, have the money available in 2017 to go after some of the big-name point guards rather than just sign some guy to a, you know, three, four-year deal because uh, they need that slight upgrade. Mm -hmm. So uh, I am willing to roll with them. Uh, Calderon is still a good offensive player. Um, I think people kind of got on him a little bit too much last year. I mean, he's not the reason the offense stagnated. He's not like a – he's not a great playmaking – he's not a – Great playmaking point guard, but you know he shoot still shoot like four you know forty one percent from three, mm-hmm. and uh, so uh, he's he's fine. I'm I'm not one of those people who say stretch him or anything like that. He, uh, right. he has a role for the team, and Grant has a role on the team. Hopefully, Tony Roten is uh, you know can play, and between the three of them, that's that's good enough for now.
0: Yeah, yeah, I'm definitely I'm there with you. Um so looking forward into free agency, you have the shooting guard position. I think this is the summer where there are a lot more shooting guard options, as you mentioned. Um what guys stand out to you, like for example, July first, top three guys that if you were Phil Jackson, you would be calling to fit the need at shooting guard. Say, of course, Apollo and Williams opt out, which they most likely would do. Which three shooting guards would you would you call first?
1: Well, three? I don't know. Um, well, the thing that's tricky, the thing that's tricky here is that, like, half of the good shooting guards and wings are restricted, so, right. um, I would, I would look at Alan Crabb, uh, he is restricted, but, you know, you might be able to pry him away from Portland, I like him, I'm hoping mm-hmm. that they get, you know, a little younger, a little bit more athletic, so, right. uh um, um, I would, I would call Nicholas Batum, but the, the reports are that, you know, he wants like a max deal and he, mm-hmm. he wants to stay in Charlotte and, uh, you know, whatever. If you want a max deal, you can stay in Charlotte because mm-hmm. he's not yeah. that good. He's also kind of injury prone, but he sure. would be a, he would be a great fit for the team. And, yeah. uh, number three, uh, I'm not off the top of my head. I can't. <laughs> I, what I think is, uh, I, I wrote about this the other day. Um, I wrote about that they should look into Nando De Colo, the, uh, the French point guard who was over in Russia this summer. Uh, he was yeah. the Euro Euro League MVP. My 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 whole point being with that article was, you know, even if they don't sign him or whatever, they need to cast a wide net. They need to be looking. They should be looking internationally. They should be looking all over the place because. This free agency period is is going to be it's going to be brutal. Cause every everybody has cap room, and it's not like it's not like a wonderful, incredible class. So they have to be, they have to be kind of creative with it. And I hope they can do that.
0: Yeah, me too. Um, I one of the rumors yesterday, of course, uh, came out about Joe Kimilä maybe staying in Chicago, and it prompted some fans to discuss the notion of hey, would it be a good idea to trade Robin Lopez for a point guard uh, like Jeff Teague or Darren Collison? Um, and then we could sign Noah. Uh, those are the types of creative, quote-unquote, ideas that people are throwing out there. Um, I, I I love the way Robin Lopez plays, and I think Portingos eventually will be a starting center for the Knicks. I just don't think he's ready to do that yet. Um, so I'm glad that you, you know, to hear that you're on the point guard side about keep let's keep these three guys together. But is there any deal like that out there where you would consider moving Robin Lopez uh, for an upgrade in the backcourt? Um, would you need to get a quality uh, big man in return as some kind of insurance for Porzingis if you're going to make a move like that, or would you just stay clear of trading Lopez at all?
1: Um, I'm very low on trading Lopez, I think. Um he's a great fit for the team right now. I mean they're gonna have to trade him down the line. Uh he doesn't mm-hmm. I don't think he plays out his contract with the Knicks, but for one more year I think he's a very good fit. Um I would not trade him for Jeff Teague. Um the Kings aren't gonna trade Darren Collison because it sounds like they're they're sick of Rondo. So. Uh um, yes, yeah, sure. <laughs> he uh yeah there's not like i mean obviously if someone blew the like you know blew them away with a with a deal anyone is anyone's on the market that's fine, but i don't see I don't see just flipping him for a point guard I don't think they would get equal value, so I don't see the point in really doing that and yeah. as for noah I think I'm actually right about this later on today. Uh, Noah, I don't think he's a starter in the NBA anymore with his injury problem that uh, you know, the Tom Thibodeau effect played you know, he played like 4,000 minutes a year for for however long Mm -hmm. so and I, I think he would actually be looking probably to go to a contender I don't know, I don't know the guy but that's the problem, I think he would be a good like third, big man to have but Sure. You know, why would he do that for the Knicks? And you can't sign them to be a starter. So. Right. Right. I agree.
0: Um, now, would you how how Lance Galloway, uh, Lance Thomas, how hard would you work to keep them in New York? I, from what I'm understanding, the Knicks have um, their restrict their restrictive free agents. So if they go over, I think what is it, six million dollars a year from an offer from another team, they would have to go into their cap space to retain them. That's what I've heard about Thomas and Galloway. I love those two. I, I would love to bring them back next year. What have you heard about their contract situations, and uh, would you uh, dip into your cap space to go over a little bit to make sure that you retain those two guys?
1: Um, well, obviously, everything is relative. I would go over a little bit. I don't know if they'll have to. Um, I think for for Lance Thomas, I think it's after the – it's after the like the veteran average or something like that, right? I think it would be over over five million or six million or something like that. And I'm not sure what kind of deals he'll get. He was he missed a, like a large part of the second half of the year, which actually might help the Knicks. Um, I would make them a priority. Obviously, it's some some. That's the problem with this free agency period. If some some general manager falls in love with Langston Galloway and you know, gives them $10 million a year, then uh, you're pretty much screwed. But right. I would make both of them a priority. I like them, and I like the way they play together. So um, it's 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 really hard to predict this for an agency coming up. It's pretty much like no other year ever. So right. um, they should hopefully, I mean, they should lock them down as soon as possible because the longer they wait, the longer or the more chance there is that, you know, some desperate GM comes out and throws a crazy contract at them. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I wonder if the Knicks can do that. If, if say, the average is at $6 million, can they come out and offer them each a, you know, three-year, $6 million-a-year deal um, on day one? I, I I guess they could do that, right?
1: They could, but then um, the way it is with the the early bird is they can – but then that was, that would count. I'm pretty sure, and these CBA stuff is pretty complicated. Yeah, but I think yeah. the the whole thing with guys restricted guys like that is you wanted to try to sign them after you had signed your unrestricted free agents, brought in people, Shares. You could go over the cap with them, but I think if, right. if you're already under the cap and you sign them, it's not like it's not like that. Uh, it's not like that. Yeah. that will keep you over the cap or it raises your cap or anything like that. So, Yeah, yeah, know. you're it's right. Going to be, it's yeah. going to be a little tough because um, you have to balance signing them early with, uh, you know, making sure that you do get them signed.
0: Right. Well, yeah, and the moratorium has been cut short three or four days, so that's going to make it even more crazy You know,
1: uh,
0: it's going to, yeah, the first week of July is going to be nuts. uh, No doubt about it. Uh, Now, let's look back a little bit. I mean, so far, Phil Jackson's been here for, what, about three years, um, almost three years. How would you rate the job that he's done so far, Um, you know, roster-wise, flexibility-wise, personnel? What are your thoughts on the job Phil Jackson's done?
1: Well, yeah, the uh, the Randis thing kind of forced the Randis thing was going to force everybody to make a drastic uh, reevaluation because this guy was horrible. So now yeah. that he's not done the Randis thing, it's, it's hard with him because he just, like, he talks and he says crazy things and then he doesn't do those things. But <laughs> as far as the results, um, yeah, I don't care about. I think people would have felt better about this last year if it hadn't been. They, they started really well and finished poorly. If they just had the same record, but were kind of more even with the wins and losses over the, spread out over the season, I think people would be a little bit better with that. Um, I would rate, yeah, he's... I have been satisfied with his with his performance. I think he is... You know, he's the first Knicks GM in, what, two decades, something like that. Not to trade away any first round picks. He has not signed any deals that were, that ended up being like very crippling. So yeah, that's way more flexibility than they've had in a long time. And they have uh, the best young player they've had in a long, all in all that's, uh that's very good. Yeah, absolutely.
0: Um, I was going to ask in terms of obviously we have all of our first round picks moving forward. Um, and that's, there's this weird um, situation now. You have Carmelo Anthony at 32, two more years left on his contract. You have KP and all of our draft picks. Jerry Grant could become our starting point guard of the future. How, you know, this is a major question for the Knicks, right? I mean, do you, are, do you believe that if Carmelo Anthony was to say, say, midseason, the Knicks are struggling, they're 10 games out of 500, um, and – at any point, do you see Carmelo Anthony say, okay, go ahead trade me to a contender so that you can properly rebuild this roster? Um, where are you on that side? Would you like to see Carmelo ask for a trade so that the Knicks could build more around that, or do you kind of want to see this through with Carmelo and Porzingis and see how this thing goes?
1: Um, as far as my preference, um, I actually i like the Carmelo. I like the Melo-Porzingis dynamic. I think he's a good mentor. And they play very well together. Um, yeah. And because I've learned with Mello's no trade clause that it doesn't really even, it doesn't pay to think about, oh, what can you get for it's for Carmelo? Because it's just, I mean, you're just going to frustrate yourself because they can't trade him anyway. And right. And he doesn't seem like he wants to go anywhere. And, you know, there are all these cons- conspiracy theories about Phil wanted to keep Randis just to chase Carmelo away. Right, you know, right. That was obviously that was ridiculous the whole time. It it's yeah. just I've I've learned to live with it. They're they're gonna have Mellow for a few years at least. Um and you know those two work well together and I think Mello's gonna be better next year now that he's he's kind of uh one year out from the, the surgery and his jump shot looks better. So I think right. Yeah, I, I can live with Mellow being there. I don't think too much about, you know, trading him because it's just not going to happen. All right, all right. Yeah, um, so
0: obviously Posting and Toasting is one of the largest uh, fan community sites. You co edit it, and uh, you really get insight onto, I guess, the collective psyche of the Knicks fans. And um, I live out here in L.A., and um, and I think you're... Are you in Virginia now? I think I saw yeah, that. Virginia.
1: Yeah, Virginia. yes.
0: So you're on the East Coast, so give me some of your insight in terms of the psyche. You know, I always kind of see two, there's like two sides. There's there's the patient Knicks fan who's, you know, cautiously optimistic, and then there's the everything is going to go wrong Knicks fan. What What is the psyche like today, and do you feel like um, things are changing in a positive direction where fans can start to have a little bit more trust, or are we just not there yet? Oh,
1: there's a third kind of Knicks fan. There's the incredibly unreasonably arrogant Knicks fans who think so all this good stuff is going to happen to them and they're going to sign all these players because uh, it's New York, despite the fact that it's sure. never happened. So okay, there's, there's yeah, that that's true. Group. you got to watch <laughs> out for them. Um,. Oh, you mean in regards to Phil Jackson or just the franchise as a whole?
0: Well, just overall, you know, reading the comments, uh, moderating the site, you know, writing pieces. Oh. Uh, what does it look like out there?
1: Um, well, in terms it's, of the way, but it's like the Randis incident was, I mean, that was crazy. It was just insane, and it made people really question everything Phil's done. That's how stupid it was. Mm-hmm. Um... Now that it's going to be Hornacek, there's a little bit more cautious optimism. I know sure, the fans in sure. our site was, were, we, we used to say APR, anyone but Randis. Right, and right. Hornacek is seems like a good guy. Seems like it'll be a, a pretty good fit. And you have to balance, like, I think, personally, I think Phil Jackson's done a pretty good job. Um. The problem with him is that he is very polarizing. Yeah, uh, there are people who just seem to hate hate what he does because he comes off as very aloof, arrogant, and he is those things. And then there are people who will just say, "Oh, eleven rings," and just you know excuse everything. So mm-hmm. um, I think it, I think it's it's positive. Uh, you're gonna have to see what happens on the free agent market the yeah it's you know just clear out the the Rambis stuff you know even if even if they had finished bad under Fisher and then Fisher, I think it would have been it would have been more confident than the whole just they fired him out of the blue and then they just brought in Rambus, who was just this disaster and and then they flirted with keeping him and it was just uh it was just a nightmare, but that's over.
0: Yeah, no, I think that you hit it on the head in that sense. I mean, if you look at the nuts and bolts of what Phil's done, it's been a solid job. He's done a solid job. But at the same time, he's kind of, uh, you know, looked to push the media's buttons in certain ways, and therefore the fan base. And, and the fan base has been really beaten down over the last 15 years with a very dysfunctional, um, you know, environment at MSG. And so it, I don't know what the purpose is of you know, Phil Jackson's purpose for doing it that way. Um, and that's what's frustrating. And I think it's like, why rattle us? Just just come out, be more forthcoming about things, be more direct. Don't let reports about Rambas, you know, come out like this. Kill them right away. You know, you could do a better job. I mean, even at his own last press conference, he talked about, you know, I'm only going to talk to people that I know, you know, and, and the way he responded to Triangle. It's like, why even do that? It just puts so much fodder out there for people to to continue, the, you know, the negative. So that's been my most frustrating part of the way Phil's handled things. I mean, it's kind of like, the, there there is a media PR battle. Like when Obama became president, you know what? He was a great communicator when he was getting elected, but unfortunately the first couple of years, he got drowned out, you know? And, and I feel like the same thing is kind of happening to Phil Jackson, but I think Phil kind of does it a little bit more to to himself <laughs> than Obama did, you know what I mean? Well, Phil doesn't care yeah. what
1: anybody thinks. He still, I, I, I don't know how much like hiring Hornacek and not hiring Randis. Some people say, you know, it, it was affected by the public perception of Randis. Maybe right. a little bit. I mean, the players, oh, the, uh, the beat writers are always talking about, oh, well, Melo didn't give him his endorsement. And you heard some rumblings about Porzingis, uh you know, was really confused about how he was used at first. Nobody seemed to like her, Randis. None of the players. I mean, he muted yeah, yeah. Aaron Osvaldo very openly. I saw Robin Lopez, you know, yelling at him on the bench a few times. Calderon, um, Mello and Lopez, like, had an intervention saying, you know, don't play us so much, play the younger guys. So, right. I mean, he didn't have the locker room at all, which is why, you know, if his supporters, like Phil's fanatical, like those – those priests of his religion who uh, who go around uh, writing articles about how Phil is always right, they wanted to say, okay, Rambus had this terrible record, but ignore that because, you know, whatever. But they didn't, you know, Phil, Phil or them or whoever, they didn't seem to realize that, you know, he had already lost locker room. The players didn't like him. Sure. So it doesn't matter what the fans think. You know, he's like, oh, you know, do they have a leather ring? The fans, okay, but the players don't have leather rings either. But they don't like Kurt Ranzis, and right. So I, it's just, it's just his way. It was always his way. He was like that in Chicago. He was like that in L.A. But he won all the time, so he didn't have to worry right. about it. Right. Um, yeah. He's never yeah. had to deal with this like prolonged losing, and he's never had to deal with a fan base that has kind of, you know, metastasized into this this horrible uh, pessimism and right. distrust. And I don't think he, you know, hopefully he cares a little bit, but it doesn't seem like he cares that much. So. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I don't think
1: he does. Yeah, that's true.
0: <laughs> um, so let's talk, uh, by the way, you guys are listening to the NYK Exchange Podcast presented by NYkinformation.com. I'm Sean Aquino here with uh, Joe Flynn of Posting and Toasting fame. Uh, Joe, let's talk about the site a little bit. How did you get involved with Posting and Toasting, and and how long ago did that kind of, um, you
1: know, how many years ago did you start editing
0: the site, and how did that come about?
1: Oh, well, I started writing. It was, um, we have a good little thing going there where they have fan posts, SB Nation. uh, You can write fan posts on the site. I started out just writing fan posts in the summer of 2012. Actually, a little bit before that. My first fan post was actually during Insanity. <coughs> I remember that. Okay. But the uh, summer of 2012, I, I, I wrote a bunch and I contacted Seth about writing for the site. And if you, you know, if you do a, few fam, a bunch of fan posts that are well-liked, he will definitely you know, he will definitely consider you. And cool. So, yeah, before the 2012-13 season, that's, that's when I started. Um, and, so that was like the best year in forever. So that was, that was a lot of fun. And then, uh, been working on it ever since. And, uh, so yeah, we never really recreated the high of 2012-13, but, you know, it's been interesting. Yeah, that's so not that's, that's always interesting. What's that? I said it's not the site's fault. That's the team's fault. It sucks. Oh yeah, well, yeah.
0: There's a different story every day. I mean, for you, it's like you're posting things all throughout the day, but literally because there's you know there's just always something going on. There's always storylines, you know, the Vernon and Isolas and the uh, and the Begleys. I mean, there's
1: always something to talk about in Midland. So
0: how yeah. long have you
1: been there? I mean. We like to look at the roster more, like in the off season, look at the the guys, what they're doing. Um, sure. Mello is the nonstop source of entertainment because he's just everywhere these days, doing his Ninja Turtles yeah. stuff. He went to the, he went to the Comic <laughs> Con festival. He just yeah, uh, he's like James Bond, jet setting the world, going all these fancy he, places.
0: It's like he's trying to be cast for the new Space Jam or something.
1: Yeah, well,
0: he just he loves
1: his... <laughs> If I was rich I'd be doing these things. He'd taste testing caviar oh, yeah. and going to the Met Gala and I'd do those things too. I, I he's all, I we know for a fact he's still working out at the Knicks facility so it's not like I mean, he gets yeah. a lot of grief for having very public outside interests. You know, if some other guy goes some other guy goes fishing every day in the uh, in the off season, nobody cares because you don't see him but if you're going to the town film festival and the White House Correspondence Dinner, you're gonna draw a lot more attention to yourself. Right, right.
0: Yeah, I have no problem with that at all. No 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 problem at all. Um, so how long we talk about your Knicks fan
1: how long have you been a Knicks fan for? Oh, since the nineties. Um, yeah. I remember uh I just missed I was I wasn't really that on board for it. I was watching '93-'94, um, and of course, you know, it was really, it was really, really like tough for me. But I wasn't really following it that much until '96-'97. That was my team, and mm-hmm. that turned out to be horrible. because of the '97 playoffs, I probably should have it yep. after that. Today. But then, yeah. they, you know, they had beat the Heat a few few years in a row, and that was wonderful. And then they made that run to the finals. And then it was too late, and I was stuck. You know, yeah. the decade and a half of the crap that they pulled. Uh, yeah, I mean, while. pretty
0: much the same. Yeah, same thing for me. I mean, I remember crying on my bed in 1994, um, and my mom coming into the room and consoling me after we lost finals. Um, that was heartbreaking. John Starks and Charles Oakley were my favorite Knicks, and. The you know I I'll never forget the performance Starks had in Game Six of those finals, um, and then in Game Seven obviously, yeah, you know what so happened was hard for. Yeah, it's unfortunate because he had such a great year that year and such a great Game Six and such a great playoff run overall. They couldn't have gone that far without him, um, and uh, it was it was just really it was heartbreaking. And it's one of those moments where you don't really know how many more times you're going to be there. The Knicks were, like, perpetually good. And every year we were a contender. Um, and so when 97 happened, that was another way we thought we could, you know, actually give the Bulls a real run at it. And um, and then the Charlie Ward-P.J. Brown thing happened. Um, so that leads to the next question. Who do you hate more, the Pacers,
1: the Heat, or the Bulls? Yeah, that's a good question. I definitely hate the Pacers <laughs> the eat more than the Bulls because I was a little bit younger when they played the um, the Bulls a lot. And then also, it just seemed like the Bulls were just kind of way above their level anyway. Um, sure. It's that, it's, that's a tough question. I don't <laughs> say the heat. I really, because of Pat Riley, because of 1997. Um, It's funny, because they won, what, three series in a row after that, but it just never, yeah. the wounds never healed. And they made the finals, but the, the wound never healed. Um, and right. also Pat Riley just has un you know, unstoppable death and he's I mean he's just hates I hate him. So it's yeah, it's gotta be Miami. And I hate Dwayne Wade's stupid face. And <laughs> yeah, I hate DJ Brown's stupid face. I hate yep. the Uh I remember calling Seth Rosenthal or not calling him the text even like about how upset I was that they that the Knicks attracted Tim Hardaway's gun. Because I hated Tim Hardy. <laughs> right.
0: Yeah. So. Yeah, no. Yeah, I, I think Miami pretty much is it. I mean, I I used to love Pat Riley so much. I did a book report on his the book, The Winner Within. Um, I don't know how old that was. But I did a book report on it, and I was like, yeah, he coached Lakers, and now he's coached Knicks. Knicks are, you know, playing a different style of basketball. And when he fastened his resignation, it was like, what the hell is going on here? Um, but we were able, you know, for a couple of years, we were able to maintain his style with with Van Gundy there. I just, it just, it's unbelievable how quickly things changed in the early 2000s, right? I mean, how yeah. could a franchise that was so solidly, consistently good had a culture, had a, had a way to play? You know, how how did it change? Um, to this, you know, to the Isaiah Dolan era. I mean, it's simply about leadership, right? I mean, Dolan took over right around
1: 2000 or 2001, right? Yep. Yeah, that was his... It's a nice, like, little cutoff point. Um, But I have to say, though, that that it it really started under Scott Layden, who was Mm -hmm. almost as bad as Isaiah, probably, like, he didn't have the -the off-the-court, like, horrible stuff. But as a GM he was just he was nearly as bad. Uh, he was the one who really started the slide. And that's something that absolutely like kills me and just cracks me up so much because he is the new GM of the Minnesota Timberwolves. <laughs> and right. like he should never have another NBA job, like with a you know, as a, as a in a position of leadership. Mm-hmm. Um and Everyone is nobody's acknowledging that, and it almost makes me like mad. Like, this is one of the worst GMs ever. This is one of the worst GMs in any and NBA history. Have you, <laughs> you know, you, I, right. I went to his Wikipedia page and just pasted all the moves that he made, and <laughs> people people were like, "Oh, well, he worked in the Spurs' office." Okay, yeah, but was he make the, making decisions for the Spurs? No, R. C. Buford was. He's probably getting them right. coffee, and you know, yeah. So. Uh, Everybody yeah. wanted Thibodeau. I was, you know, I would have loved to have Thibodeau, but man, the combination of Thibodeau, yeah, but you have to bring Scott Layden on. Uh, no, no okay. thanks. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, yeah. Well, with the Tib situation, it's kind of like I still don't get it. I, I, I don't get why he would have picked the Knicks and working under Phil Jackson, as opposed to being able to do what he was. What he's going to be able to do in Minnesota, you know, run the entire team, make every last final decision. Why would he pick the Knicks and, and doing what Phil Jackson tells him over Minnesota? I, do you think that that
1: was an actual reality
0: that he would have picked the Knicks job?
1: Oh, I don't know. He um, he still he still has like love for the organization. Actually, in this kind of in the same way Jackson does, or he was with them with better from you know during better time. All right. Uh, I don't if they had talked and they had gotten along. Um, Phil Jackson seems to place a lot of the like, faith in the, uh, the guys he knows in the Chicago bulls front office, like the mm. vaccines, stuff like that, which I would, right. Think, right. I they're they're pretty bad. Uh, <laughs> they make good personnel moves, but yeah, they're pretty good at like pissing everybody off. Sure. And acting like they know more than everybody. So, yeah. Yeah. And, uh, the thing—it just—it wasn't going to happen, so I didn't worry about it not happening. Uh, you still hear about it all the time, you know. I still still doing his. well. Why did they interview Thibodeau? Well, they did. Mm-hmm. Right, right.
0: Well, that that's the other thing. It's with um, with the Knicks. It was really good to see. I thought Frank Vogel was waiting to hear back from Phil Jackson before selecting. Uh, Memphis, I mean, um, uh, you know, I'm sure he had an offer from from Memphis in Orlando, and I think he was waiting to hear back from Phil. You had David Blatt, who was a highly respected coach, who would love to be head coach, and if it's true that Tibbs really was interested in coming back, then, you know, that whole narrative that nobody wants to coach in New York is maybe, you know, something that could be challenged a little bit because you had some top five coaches interested in, the, in, in coming here to coach the squad, and maybe that has more to do with Porzingis than Phil Jackson, but um, that's encouraging for the future uh, that you have some top-flight coaches interested in coming to the
1: Knicks. Yeah, and it's also the fact that there's a very finite number of jobs open, and, you know, if you want to coach, you got to coach somewhere. But it depends on the – again, it depends on the personality of the guy. If a guy wants to get right back in the, the head coach's chair or if he wants to, you know, bide his time, maybe go to the broadcast booth. Um but yeah, I mean, you should want to coach the Knicks. Like, if you have up, the utmost confidence in your ability, um, winning with the Knicks will make you a bigger deal than winning anywhere. Right, right. Totally. Yeah, I mean, yeah, definitely. All right,
0: Joe, well, thank you so very much, everyone. You guys could uh, check out uh, Joe Flynn's uh, articles as he edits SB Nation blog Posting and Toasting, and follow him at China Joe Flynn at on Twitter. And I really, again, I'm a huge fan of all the work that you do. Keep it up. Thanks so much for taking the time to come on our little podcast, and uh, we we really appreciate it. Thanks so much. Thank you for having me. Oh, of course. Talk to you next time. Okay, everybody, that's yep. it. That'll do it. That'll do it for the NYK Exchange podcast. Uh, you can subscribe on iTunes. Thanks so much for your support, and we'll talk to you next time.